Uh, and, uh, trolling and, control. Like, Jesus. <laughs> ten out of uh, well, out of ten. Never mind. I'm not going to finish that story now. No. Well, that, I thought you finished the story. <laughs> well, that was. I might have had more comments that I'll tell you about later. Well, no. I mean, Joel, you're you're becoming becoming a master of your craft, and uh, I respect it. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, it is practical shooting after dark. Everybody, welcome. We're here to talk about shooting. Uh, on deck tonight, Mr. Hopkins. Hi, everybody. Mr. Kim. Hello. And, well, we have the Korean brothers. Mr. Park is here. Yes. Hello. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, you know the drill. Everybody comes here with a topic, something to talk about. Who wants to go first? You know, I'll go first. Oh, Matt, what do you got? So I kind of want to piggyback on the volunteer aspect of what I talked about in a previous podcast. And and I'll just go down to the uh, the volunteer aspect of after the match is done shooting and what's expected of people once the match is done shooting. So if you attend a match, uh, the common thing is you shoot and then, then you tear down the stage before you leave, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty normal about everywhere you go, right? Except for maybe some higher level matches that you travel for quite a bit. Well, let me or, put it this that, way, Matt. Yeah. How about this? If people notice that you're never there tearing down, like they don't mind, like if you're not there once in a while, like you had to go or do something, but yeah. that if, if they notice you're never there, people, people don't like it. You mean like, they don't if like there's it. a, if there's a larger match that happens and then like multiple years in a row, you just like bounce out. Like as soon as the last shooter shoots, like that's noticeable. And that's frowned upon. Like that's not that's not a good thing, right? Like I said, if people notice you're never there, they don't. They really don't like it. What if yeah. hypothetically you just like take your brass bag and sit down on the ground in the middle of the stage and start picking up your brass and like have people walking around you, tripping over you, trying to tear down the stage? I would say that's a little selfish and and probably not best for your reputation. But I mean, it's your reputation that that would get the hit, not mine. So. Or whoever's <laughs> that is, maybe not yours. Was not would not be me. Maybe it's something no. I've observed before. Uh, Sorry, go this ahead. This is just something that I think people should should expect to do. Like even if you have like a four or five hour drive, like you're not the only one there with that kind of drive. So spend the fifteen minutes, help your squad mates tear down. It actually you'll make a really good impression on them, and then then they'll remember it. They'll also remember if you don't do anything and make excuses and leave right after shooting, even though everybody else is staying there and tearing down. So that's, that's my kind of like rant for the day, I guess. It's pretty good. I like it. Uh, plus not only that, like if everyone in the squad helps for, I don't throw out a number eight minutes, like you can tear if down everything that, yeah. pretty quick, but if everyone bails and it's like one person left that also set up the match, it's not going to take them eight minutes to set like to tear everything down <laughs> that it took them days to put up or a day or whatever. Yeah. So it's right. good. It, it's a volunteer sport. So get out there. It doesn't just mean like helping with reset, like volunteer and help tear down it. Like it's, it's a very simple thing. Well, how about in the, uh, instead of the BFC slogan, it's a volunteer sport. It's like there's certain things that are considered courteous that aren't yeah. really voluntary yeah. necessarily. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I could get there, I guess. 
One interesting comment I, I heard uh, actually a couple of years ago when I was shooting a local match was uh, this guy is pretty experienced and he shot a, a at least a major match because I saw him at, uh, at level two. And then when I was uh, watching him in the local match, he was keep cutting me off and he was maybe fifth in the shooting order. And he was keep uh, not resetting, but just staying like, you know, visualizing and walk through the stage. Even though you know his turn is far out, and I had a little conversation, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, but this is a local match, man." And mm-hmm. I was telling him, "This is a local match, but yeah, as the you know the unspoken rule or the courtesy or culture of the USPSA, yes, a major match is just making it official. Like if you are." Uh, it, Next shooter, yeah, you you do the walkthrough, but if you are in the depot or something like that, you don't go into the walkthrough and bother the actual shooter who's going to be shooting soon. So those kind of things that uh, in the major match, I really think ROs really remind shooters, hey, if you are on deck, you can do the walkthrough, but if you're not help resetting, blah, blah, those kind of things, I think very doing a good job. But I think a lot of people who actually shoots major match and go back to their club, uh, a lot of people, of course, do that really well. But some shooters think it's a major match thing and not local match thing, or it's just for the ro- major match. And I really want to say that's wrong. Yeah, You want to continue that at a local match too with that good courtesy, help resetting, uh, not disturbing the previous shooter who will be shooting doing the walkthrough and be on their way, you know, things like that. Well, not even beyond that, but beyond the common courtesy stuff, it also gets you trained for the way you want to behave at matches. So, like, at a major match, the RO probably isn't going to let you just stand there for 15 minutes while your whole squad, like, makes ready and tries to go around you. So it's really good to prepare yourself for, you know, just having one look and going back and visualizing or whatever. So, yep. but I would say the way some people behave at major matches, they probably get away with murder at their club. But anyway... It all comes back to culture, right? This is true. Well, speaking of that, this brings me to what I wanted to talk about. Oh, baby. So I'll see you. I just, I'm going to run a scenario by you guys. and You can tell me what you think about it. Mm-hmm. So I had a guy that I know and I like and I trust. He pinged me on uh, Messenger. This, this went down months ago, but uh, he'd gone to a match and there was some problems with it. So... And he ran it down, some serious problems. And he said, hey, you can confirm this with this and this guy. He wanted me to talk about it on the podcast, which I can see why he'd want that. You know, given the right set of circumstances, I'm pretty good at doing damage (laughs) when it needs to be done. You guys know how it is. But I don't, Uh I mean, but I have people hit me with stuff like this all the time. And typically, I don't do anything with it. Like, I'm pretty, I don't, you know, I don't want to just... But it's something the person doesn't act on, right? They give to you because they want you to act on. Is that am I, is my assumption correct? It's funny you bring that up, Joel, because you know where this is headed. I think I was just curious. I had a suspicion. Yeah, um, but I didn't do anything with it because uh, the guy went on Facebook and posted a bunch of, you know, comment or positive comments about the match, which I thought was weird. So. It put me in the position of like this guy is going out in public and saying the match is good. And he sent me this laundry list of complaints, which as near as I can tell, pretty valid. And he wants me to like talk about it, like do his dirty work for him or something. <laughs> Thought it was kind of weird. 
that was what I thought. Um, what do you guys think? So I'm pretty sure I heard the, the feedback and saw videos that confirmed pretty much everything on there that I could tell of. So you mean you're talking about the negative feedback, the negative feedback. Yeah. So are people afraid of putting negative feedback out there? <laughs> well, I think once you get put on the shit list, you know, that would be the list that I'm definitely at the top of. <laughs> Anybody on this podcast is probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm Mark. I'm Mark. Yeah. Whether you do anything wrong or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah that doesn't matter. Uh, well, I, I have a story to tell, whether it's, uh, <laughs> you guys tell me if it's relevant or not. So I went to a match. It's been, uh, we'll say a year or two ago. It was by far the worst ran match I've ever been to. Worse than any club. It was it was not good. Uh, but I didn't really like, I wasn't going to take out on the staff because they were still there. I wasn't going to poach, post a bunch of stuff online. So I just chose not to post anything about it. Like it was quite clear. They did not want feet. Well, one person kind of asked me about it. And so I talked to this one person. Otherwise it was pretty clear. Like they really didn't want to hear from me and I wasn't just going to go volunteer what I thought. So I just never posted that I was even there. I mean, more or less like, I'm not like, you know, you still shake the RO's hands like, hey, I appreciate them working. And there was there was a, a you know, a, a comedy of errors for why this match was not one you'd want to go back to. But it was like the RO's on the bay. They didn't like it wasn't their fault. People are still doing the best they can. And the people that maybe could have made a change didn't want to hear from me anyway or didn't were, were asking for feedback. So I didn't say anything good or bad. I just didn't post that I was there. Did you return to that match? No. Are you going to return to that match? Uh, if the match was ran by a different crew, possibly. Yeah. So what, the, what you're saying is if that match was a different match. Yeah, it would be a totally different match at that <laughs> point. Yeah. Right? But no, otherwise, it's, it's, no, I just wouldn't go back. So you didn't really quit the match. You quit the match director. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of funny how that works, because I think if you really think about it, that's more the way it works. Yeah, it is. But I all, wasn't, that, all that stuff. So. Based on my limited experience with prepping for Area 3, like all that's under control of the match director. Now they could delegate some of it out, but still, at the end of the day, it's still like their responsibility. Everything is. It is, but there's still a lot of people that help build the stages or ROs. Yeah. Like it's not like it's all their fault. Yeah, and that stuff is usually out of their control. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't, the ROs working the stages didn't build them. They didn't whatever else like they're not in charge of getting how many porta potties are on the range or how much food <laughs> is at the award ceremony like this is true yeah so it's not their fault i wouldn't take it out on them nope not at all just like vote with your feet in that situation or if you're going to make a post like make a post directly with you know your grievances so question one of the things i've been on my platform for campaigning is the survey system uh, now that only works if the people take the feedback in, like we can get survey results and feedback from everybody, but if the people that are in charge of that stuff don't actually take that feedback in and use it to improve it, it makes no sense. Matt, Matt. Yeah. What if, uh, not everybody responds to the feedback? How about this? What if a majority, if you don't get a majority of the members to re respond to a survey, 
a majority. Well, some people say that no response is a affirmation of what is being done. I would say <laughs> that the people responding are the ones that actually care and you should actually use their input. Because otherwise, people just are ignoring it or don't really care. So what and you're those saying is... People that are responding also are... Re, like they touch more than just the one person like that one comment that comes in is representative of at least 10 others or more from what i could tell well let me put it this way um well a question for you i guess because sure you you know people there's a certain like i feel like there's a certain segment that does feel the way you're talking about where they feel like if the person's not actively complaining, then they are approving of everything that's happening or whatever, or they don't care or whatever. Um, what, like, from a survey perspective, what would it take to change their mind, in your opinion, Matt? Nothing will change your mind. They're set. So the only what, way to change your mind. What is, is the to... point of the surveys, then, sir? I'm asking. No, you, you got to get the people in that that actually care in those positions oh. that need that care. And at that point, that's when stuff will change. OK, yeah, those no response is a response. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the little scenario I put forward? No one. No one really spoke to the mentality of. Wanting me to complain. Well, you actively praise the match. Yeah, I mean, the mindset is always like somebody else will just take care it's of this like, for me. It's like you want to use me to do like proxy damage to these people. <laughs> like, I don't understand what the point was if they actually had legitimate concerns and then go on and say that everything was perfect. Well. Well, I'll say this. The reason I'm a, I'm a big time Matt supporter is that he came out and uh, he talks some, uh, he talks a big game and he says so in public out loud. He just kind of says what he thinks. So I don't have a problem supporting that. Like as far as you pussies that like want me to do your dirty work for you, like I, I'm not going to help you. Okay, that's a good time to move on. Probably Joel's <laughs> I agree. Kim, what do you got, buddy? Yes. So uh I've been I've been quitting smoking right now. So it's been what uh five days maybe? Wait, Ooh. what? Yeah, I've been I've been quitting smoking. When did you start smoking? Wait, quitting smoking? We're talking cigars? about we're talking about cigars, yes, cigars. Oh. That's true. Yes. Should, Wait, you're like perma quitting? Clarify. Uh I'm I'm quitting for a month to see uh, the benefit of it. So that's what I want to talk about, benefit of nicotine. Because nicotine is actual substance a lot of athletes use, especially if you look at like baseball players, they're using chewing tobacco, very popular. It's a nootrop it, nootropic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like caffeine. I've looked into it, but mm. there's other risks associated <laughs> with it. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well the nicotine delivery system is kind of a problem. Uh, I just a little bit of background. I did smoke cigarettes seven years, about ten years ago, which I quit. So it's been ten years since I didn't smoke cigarette at all. 
Uh, but I started smoking cigars back in 2018. Actually, funny story is I, I won a stage in Area 5, and there was a stage prize, which was a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I smoked it, and I'm like, oh, I don't have to inhale, so my lung capacity is good. So that's when I kind of casually smoked. But uh, for two years, I smoked maybe like one or two a week, so it didn't really like being uh, – I wasn't addicted to it at all. And especially when the pandemic started, uh, there were some free time. So I was smoking more like three to five a day instead of a week. Yes. Uh, And then I started realizing, especially like a couple months back, uh, I started feeling like I think I'm addicted to nicotine. Uh, Pretty sure because I'm using every single day. So I wanted to see what's the difference between using it and not using it. Uh, so far, I can't really tell because I'm, I'm having withdrawal and I can't say uh, I'm off nicotine and I know what it feels like to not shoot without nicotine now. But uh, I want to explain what I felt like when I was actually using it. So that's a good way to go. Uh, so from like 2020 is the first nationals I've actually smoked cigar at all the matches I shot. Every single match I shot, I remember I smoked cigar. Yeah, you get it like... I'm just. I think you you gotta you've gotta tell people like what a yeah. big deal it is to your life that you're quitting smoking cigars. Like you really enjoy cigars. Well, yes. it's a social aspect too. I mean, Kim has a lot of friends that he compares. I don't put like speak for you too much, but you have like different types. Like, oh, this was this type no, of cigar, oh, and it's a well, no, but thing. we're all friends. Like we've been yeah. around you a lot. Like you really yeah. enjoy cigars. Like I do. on it. Like I don't think you're like addicted to the nicotine. There's like a whole it's a whole thing like different cigars and trying cigars and yes. all yeah. the, it, it's a whole deal for you yeah oh but the condition is i'm gonna do no smoking for a month right so yeah. i'm gonna try to see but the first thing is when i was using nicotine the first benefit yes there's in a way an extra energy boost uh that was really interesting for me because I would say only energy boost other than food or uh, drinking or whatever uh, was coffee, uh, maybe Diet Coke or something like that. Caffeine was the uh, only source of my extra boost, at either match or just regular life. But having cigars or nicotine, I should say, nicotine had a little bit more boost in energy. So to say, uh, if I smoke in the morning, it helps me wake up faster. But the downside is if I smoke it at night, I have a hard time going to sleep quick. Uh, so at matches, I had to be careful not to smoke after like 6 p.m., things like that. But at the match, uh, one thing I noticed is the amount of nicotine changes how I behave to nicotine. So sometimes I would smoke every single stage. Then I may and I usually get really dehydrated and my eyes start to kind of blur out and my mouth getting cotton mouth, and I have to now like start drinking a lot of water. And by the time I feel that, it's too late. So I kind of found out like you know what's the right amount per per stage or per day, I should say. Uh, once I figured that out, I definitely had more awakened, not faster processing in my brain, but longevity. I had more endurance. And another thing is. Uh, when I was smoking, it really calmed me down. And I used to be super hyper-focused 
in a way I'm not talking to anybody and I'm only like focused on visualize, visualize. And I wasn't really having fun with like the social event oftentimes. And then the cigar kind of brought me into calming effect, enjoying more. And then the fact that I'm just smoking, like sometimes I have to sit down and enjoy the smoke. That itself was resetting me each stage. So of course, when I'm on deck or in the hall, I, I wouldn't smoke. I'm visualizing. And once I'm done, sign the score sheet, I go back, reload, smoke my cigar. So that was a really good um, focus, relax, focus, relax effect. And then at the end of the match, I don't feel as tired, especially mentally, because before, like I said, I was super hyper-focused the whole entire match. After the match is over, I'm mentally exhausted. And I remember I shot two matches back-to-back. -back. Uh, I think it was area five and three, something like that before. And then the second match, I was exhausted, both mentally and physically, because I was like up all the stage visualizing rather than sit down and relax. So in, in this kind of case, there's a couple benefits it brought me. Maybe this is not going to be for you, but nicotine itself, it is, yeah, it is extra energy. Uh, so that's something interesting. I like it, Kim. Mm-hmm. Ben's being a distraction <laughs> as normal. So I was just looking up how nicotine can, some of the benefits of it. Um, some interesting stuff um, kind of seems like it's like caffeine or can be used as caffeine or like a substitute of that. So yeah. I don't know about smoking or anything, but. Well, it, I mean, like chewing the nicotine gum, like a good thing. The nicotine you. gum is what I was looking at. Like, I wouldn't smoke. That makes yeah, no like sense. nicotine itself. I don't think is really that bad for you. It raises your it raises your heart rate though. Yeah. Oh, that's actually one thing I notice sometimes too. Like when I smoke cigar in the morning, uh, not smoking in the morning compared both, I feel like I'm more heart was more ready to shoot in the first stage, the morning time. That's definitely one thing. But one thing about cigar is compared to cigarettes, cigar doesn't absorb to the system as quickly. Uh, so I heard, uh, you know, smoking through the lungs get get it gets it to the brain quicker. So cigarette smoking, I think I you you have to be really careful not to overdose it, so to say, because it's just delivering really quick. I mean, this this vape website is saying nicotine improves reaction time. Like, there's there seems like there could be some benefits to this. That's actually one thing I wanted to see if there was difference. But all the drill times are same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily uh, making it faster per se. Uh, at least for me. Yeah. So <sighs> it's the same when you're on nicotine and off. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be off for a month. You're gonna do all the same drills and stuff. I think it takes two weeks to get out of your bloodstream, though, Kim. Yeah, maybe something. I don't know. Don't something like it, that. It takes some time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm five days in not smoking, and the second day, third day was really bad. I was at the range, of course. <laughs> My eyes were trying to like jump around the targets, 
but now today I went to the range. It was a lot calmer. Uh, so I feel like, yeah, two weeks, I'll probably come back to complete normal. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm saving it for a big day in a month. We'll be together uh, uh, for the summit. So indeed, yes, that's why I'm quitting for a month. I'm gonna pop one up <laughs> at the summit. So all right, it'll be, it'll be full send. I have no doubt. You guys want to take a question? Yeah, sounds Let's good. Do it. I think this was a banger of a show. I'm not gonna lie. Especially that part where I was uh, trolling Joel in the chat. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> About his deepest, darkest uh, secrets, you know? Uh-huh. Anyway, I'm wondering how important it is for the sights to track straight up and down in recoil. My sights normally track 30 degrees to the right during recoil. When I decrease my right-hand grip pressure, the dock goes straight up, but my splits slow down and I dump rounds low left. I'm a teleoptics master looking to make GM this year, and I want to know... How much effort to, to dedicate to recoil control? And before we get going too much in the weeds, I'll just give you guys the stock answer that I give in class all the time when I get this question. I don't think it matters. Some guys have their dot track straight up and down. Some have it track upright for right-handed people. Some guys have that. It kind of depends. I don't think it really matters. I don't think it's a big deal as long as it's the same every time. When it's changing, that's the issue because that's indicating inconsistency with your grip. Your grip should be the same every time, in my opinion. Anyway, somebody else, take it away. I think, I, I mean, he mentioned... The same thing. Go ahead, Kim. He mentioned his goals is making a GM, right? Yeah. So if he has a goal of just you know getting certain classification, uh, just let the paper tell you if you're doing well or not. So basically what Ben said... Uh, if if you're shooting good groups on the paper, yeah, go for it. Go with it because making a GM is more of, uh, yeah, it's different than you trying to be a national champion or getting a GM card. There's a big difference. If you want to be a national champion or top level shooter, top, 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 I should say, then having super clean, super mechanically sound shooting is good. In that manner, when when the things are happening pretty perfectly, oftentimes you'll see the dot going straight up and down and coming back to the same spot every single time. Uh, if the dot is going to a one direction, either left or right, there's a couple things to uh, you want to think about. Is this how your arms or the hand, so meaning the grip or recoil management, is that the issue or... If the gun is bouncing off your eye line, so basically in during recoil, there can be bending things around in your hand, right? For example, if it's going to the right, the right side wrist may be bending more or the elbow or left hand grip may be slipping around. So you can take a look at grip part, joints part, things like that, and then see if there is an issue. Or fundamentally, when the gun is moving around in recoil in front of your eye line, especially with the red dot, like let's imagine, let's draw a line from your dominant eye to the target, that straight eye line, right? Depend on how the gun moves on that center line, the dot behavior also looks different. So sometimes I actually see this when the stance is really poor, 
their head is getting kicked back and forth and sometimes a little bit left and right as well. Then the dot movement may be straight up and down with respect to the gun, but respect to your eye line, it may be not straight again. So you have to think both mechanical side and the eye line of it. But most of the time, if you're right-handed, the reason why the gun uh, flips to the right is because your right side, the firing hand wrist, is flopping a lot more than the left. That's the most common issues I've seen. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. If you are just beginner shooter, maybe D class or don't even compete, it's it's not going to be that reason. It's usually grip reason. But if you are already practicing like C class above, it's most likely one side wrist bending a lot more, because a lot of people think firing hand has to be relaxed, and they end up relaxing the wrist as well, which both wrists should be rocked locked uh, balancedly but they forget to like they relax the firing hand relax the wrist but the support side they crush the grip and then lock really hard on the wrist then the right side wrist flops a lot and yeah the recoil leaks to that direction a lot that's the most common issue i see yeah so the solution i mean there i made a video on bscg of course you have to learn how to lock the wrist without tensing up the firing hand. The wrists are actually locked by forearm muscles, not the finger muscles or palm muscles. So you need to stay those palm and the finger muscles on the firing hand side so you can pull the trigger fast, but you have to keep that forearm working to keep the wrist locked. I like it. Kim, you never disappoint. That's why we call you. Yeah, I don't professor. think we can add much to that. I can add absolutely nothing. We can throw in a joke, Hopkins. Jesus. <laughs> we don't need any more of your jokes, Ben. Hopkins jokes, not my jokes. I don't have okay. any on that. It was I want to. I, I want to go one more. It's just a There's short one. There's another exercise I use for wrist, wrist and hand strength. Those bands, you know how you like expand your hand out, like. Yeah do that so you work the opposite muscles i like those that's healthy for for you yeah kim they're did you have one more they're chatting so second most common i mean maybe it's not the second most maybe third most common is a lot of people have one side shoulder higher because support hand group grip is often higher than the firing hand side so a lot of people say, hey, support hand, super high on the gun. And what, what people do oftentimes, they bring the whole shoulder together sometimes. So if you look at the shoulders, it may be canted. And the recoil in general is perpendicular to your shoulder line. So if your shoulders are not perpendicular or meaning straight level to the ground, the recoil will often yeah, go to one direction. If your shoulder left shoulder high, right shoulder low, then you will often see the gun, maybe crooked too, but the gun oftentimes is perpendicular to your shoulder line. So if your shoulder's leaning to the right, the recoil goes to the right as well. That's a pretty common issue that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, there's a lot more, but <laughs> these two are common ones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Kim, I, I think you nailed that one pretty well. If people need more information, they should join PSTG and watch the wrist lock video. They should. As well as 
well, all of the other very interesting. Didn't all we just reorganize something? Study session are quite fantastic also. No, but we just did. We just reorganized it. We? The, uh, the class yes, videos. I, yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. The class videos and the summit videos are all Did in we one, talk uh, about that on here? I, I think we remember. did. Or maybe, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, there's like 20 classes on there as long as a bunch of, and as well as a bunch of summit blocks. So it's, you know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So training group members are uh, organized better and they're all in one spot. So it's super easy to find. And the class videos are not only from just like the PSTG people. We've got other, you know, other people's classes in here. Like what? We've got some Mason. We've got some Andreas. Modern Samurai Project. Prom so anyway. Pranka. The X-Ray yeah, Alpha Pranka, class. Pranka, X-Ray Alpha. Yep. Yeah, X-Ray Alpha. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good shit. All right. Well. That was a banger of a podcast, like I said. Mm -hmm. Anyway, listeners, if you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to bensticker.com. Send me your question. Uh, yeah. Anything else, guys? No? no. Kill it? Do I hit the nope. stop button? button 